Hello again. Welcome back. It's good to have you here. And my guest this week is Tim Brown, the founder and CEO of Allbirds, the revolutionary footwear company built on simplicity and sustainability. Allbirds is now valued at over a billion dollars. Their shoes have become quite popular, ubiquitous around the world, but they started from very humble beginnings as just an idea inside the brain of our guest, Tim Brown. Now at the time, Tim was a professional soccer player who eventually made his way to the pinnacle of his sport when he ultimately represented his country, his home country of New Zealand in the 2010 World Cup that was held in South Africa. And after that World Cup, instead of re-signing a multi-year contract that would have allowed Tim to continue his professional career, he walked away resigning his pro athletic career in order to pursue a dream, a dream that eventually became Allbirds. It's such a cool story. Uh, it's something that really speaks to me as somebody who's just a big fan of sport and of business and of people who put things on the line. And it's an honor to be able to share it with you today. We talk about Tim's background as an athlete, obviously, and how it made him a better entrepreneur. We talk about the value of having teammates and business partners, specifically referencing his co-CEO, Joey Zwillinger at Allbirds. We talk about staying hungry after success and persistent after failure. We talk about the sustainability mission of their brand. And finally, we talk about the new performance running shoe, which they just launched a couple of weeks ago. All in all, it was a true pleasure, a true privilege and honor to sit down with Tim Brown. And I think you guys will really enjoy this conversation. I'm here with Tim Brown, the founder and CEO of Allbirds, based in San Francisco, California. Tim, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Thank you for having us. It's a real pleasure to talk with you. Yeah. Well, um, you know, a big theme of this show is sort of finding the the common threads or the parallels between sport and business. And uh, you seem to be the perfect guest to sort of fit that general theme of the show. And uh, it's, uh, it's an honor to have you on. And um, we are connected through Brett Jackson, a good friend of mine, uh, a big supporter uh, and um, advocate for all birds and, and a previous guest of the podcast. And, uh, you know, in, in talking about the thread between sport and business, you were in your previous life a professional athlete. So I wanted to start there, if you don't mind, if you could give a brief kind of summary of your athletic career and when the vision for, for all birds started to materialize in your head. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, Brett, Brett's a good guy. He's been a he's been a, a big supporter of ours, and and um, from the beginning saw what we were trying to build, and and uh, I, pre- I appreciate him and, and and his support. Yeah, so I, I had a about a decade long um, professional sporting career playing football or soccer, depending on where you come from. Uh, I grew up in New Zealand, uh, left New Zealand to come to America on a um, on a soccer scholarship. Went to the University of Cincinnati. They were the number one basketball team in the nation at the time. Kenyon Martin was playing for them, and I played soccer there for for four years, um, and, and also studied at the des, the design school. Um, Cincinnati is quite uh, quite famous for its its design um, uh, school, and and I had just this incredible experience there, and fell in love with the subject material. But uh, soccer got in the way a little bit, and um, I, I kind of had what I, what I call a little bit of an accidental career. Um, I, I didn't get drafted but found myself at the Los Angeles Galaxy and MLS, promptly got released, uh, spent um, 
a season and a bit at one of their feeder teams in Richmond, the Richmond Kickers, in the league below MLS. Um, and then went to England to try and, uh, you know, to try and get a professional contract there and, um, and could make that work and was, was on the, on the cusp of kind of giving up, uh, and got an opportunity, uh, in the A-League, which is the Australian professional competition, uh, playing for an Australian team there and, um, ended up staying there for seven or eight years and, uh, had a great experience. The league, uh, was quite young, um, about a decade or so behind MLS, but, um, you know, rising in, 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 in standard and quality. And, and I, I you know, I just had this incredible experience and was able to, to leverage that to be part of a New Zealand team that went to the world cup in 2010, um, in South Africa, which was a big, 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 big thing. And, um, uh, the second time ever in New Zealand's history, the first time since 1982, they qualified for a world cup. So, uh, was part of this incredible journey. And then, um, in 2012 decided I didn't want to be the last person at the party and, uh, I was not yet 32, still had a, a little bit of time left on my contract, but decided to um, retire and um, head off to business school and try something new. It's so interesting. I mean, having had that thrilling sort of life highlight of playing in a World Cup and still only being in your early 30s, which, you know, seems like kind of an interesting time in life as a, as a professional athlete, you're sort of feeling closer to the end than to the beginning for the first time and sort of wanting to set yourself up for the next objective. But having been an athlete your whole life, I imagine it was still somewhat of a decision that you had to make. And I know obviously a lot of athletes have a really hard time when contemplating dealing with retirement. Did you struggle with that decision at all? Or um, did you feel kind of confident in this new direction you were heading going to business school? You know, it's, it's, it's such a tough moment. Um, I, you know, for me personally, I, I'd, I'd spent a lot of time preparing um, for that transition. And I had in, in many cases, a, a greater love uh, in design and um, some of the things that I'd in some ways put on hold with sport, uh, that I really was eager to, to try. Um, so, you know, and I, would invested a lot of time in that, um, you know, while I was playing so that I could get into to business school and make a plan, which made that transition a little bit easier. Um, but it was, it was really, really hard. And, uh, and I, I, what I was determined though, was I, I didn't want to be the last guy at the party. I wanted to avoid the moment when some executive pulled me into an office and said, you're too old and no good. Um, but I think, you know, for me, for me, for me personally, um, it had stopped being the most important thing. And mm. I felt that. And on some level that was about being really honest with myself. And I was never, you know, uh, some extraordinary talent. I had to work ex- very, very hard to get to the level that I got to. And then once I was there, it, it needed complete focus and sacrifice. And I, I was a role player on a team and, and I, I just, it needed everything that I had. And, and, and I did that and I was very proud of what I was able to be a part of. And then equally, um, proud that I was, I was able to recognize when it was time to step away. And, and that's what I did. And it was interesting. Like this shoe idea had started while I was playing. So I'd started working on the business that was to become Allbirds in probably like circa 2007. And I started experimenting with the idea of making shoes. I actually made some, uh, visited some factories in my off seasons and sold some shoes to my teammates who largely laughed at me. So that journey had already begun and was sort of a little bit of the motivation. I wouldn't say the complete motivation to go mm. off to business school and study um, all the subjects that I'd ignored at college to maybe think about what, what the next chapter would look like. It's so interesting. And in thinking about this conversation then I, ahead of time, I was sort of 
contemplating how does being an athlete kind of make you a better entrepreneur, but it almost sounds like you were kind of a born entrepreneur, a born designer, and that almost made you a better athlete. Does that resonate with you as well or oh, in any way? Maybe that's, um, maybe that's sugarcoating the reality a little bit. Yeah. I mean, here's, 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 you know, here's the thing. I, I, I was very fortunate to, to uncover design and a love for design and maybe, you know, the ability to, uh, you know, to, to understand design on some level and, 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 and that, and that was a, that was a great gift that was given to me in part, uh, in part by my mom and, and then fueled through my experience at Cincinnati. So I had this other thing that I wanted to do and, and that was really, really important. And, um, you know, the, the sporting thing obviously, obviously happened and, uh, you know, what you realize when you retire at 32 and you've had the sporting career is that you're a decade or so behind everyone else. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I went out, uh, in London and, and was looking at the job market, realizing that I, you know, I really needed to start again. And and that was with two degrees at that time after I graduated. And, you know, so the entrepreneurial, uh, option or, or angle became, uh, you know, something that was a little bit more of a viable option for me, uh, because I didn't, I didn't have so many other choices. And, I would like to think that um, the ability to train and work as an athlete has is, is also sort of helped me uh, attack the challenge of building a business. The very first shoes I made in 2007 uh, were not particularly pretty. <laughs> they were, I hadn't come from the footwear space. I didn't realize how hard shoes were, ma- were to make and I needed to work at it. And I worked at it and I worked at it over a long period of time. We went through hundreds and hundreds of prototypes. Um, and many, many years of work, almost in a ridiculous way when I look back on it, because Allbirds didn't launch officially until the 1st of March, 2016. So there's a lot of time between starting this journey and, and when it and when it became uh, something. So uh, that, that, that ability to kind of keep on going when a lot of smart people told, told, told me probably that it was a waste of time is certainly, I think, uh, shared across sport and business. Yeah, yeah, the personality of the athlete is really evident there. So I want to get into sort of like the process and, and the progress of Allbirds as a brand and as a company. But before we leave this subject of the sort of sport and your uh, history as being an athlete, you said you were kind of a role player on the team, but it seemed to me in just doing my research that you had some sort of a leadership position within the New Zealand national team. Is that right? And did you always sort of gravitate towards leadership positions? And maybe what are some of the things um, from sport and that experience that helped you to be a better leader in, uh, in your business life? Yeah, I, I think those things have, have, have found me kind of throughout, throughout my, my life, uh, particularly in sport. It's where maybe first started where you start to you know, kind of take on sort of captaincy roles when you're young, when those things first become sort of part of the team sporting experience and sort of flowed through to Cincinnati and then, you know, to New Zealand where, you know, I was captain of the team through a lot of the qualifying. And then, you know, we had this incredible player and leader, Ryan Nelson, um, who, who, who led the team at the world cup. And I sort of supported him in a vice captaincy role. And, and, um, and, and so it was always sort of a part of my ability to contribute. And, you know, I, I think, um, you know, I, I certainly, you know, it, it's helped me that experience of, of leading teams in a sporting context has helped me as I've come into a business one. Uh, I didn't have anything else to fall back on, to be honest with you. Allbirds in many ways is not quite my first job, but close to it. So the ability to lead a company now that is close to 500 people is something that I've had to learn quickly. I'm very fortunate that I run the business as a co-CEO with Joey, my co-founder, 
um, who I'm happy to tell you how I met. Um, but you know, we run it together and, um, you know, and, and it's certainly I'm, I'm leaning on my leadership experiences from sport and the ability to deal with pressure and, and to bring a group together in the same way we did with New Zealand around a sort of a, a collective goal that was bigger than any one, one team member and how powerful that can be. And we've tried to take those lessons and apply that to all birds as well. It's so cool. And I do want to talk about Joey here in a second, but before we get there, just to set the table with a little history of the brand. Um, and I think prior to Joey sort of coming on board as the co-CEO, I, like m- many people, became familiar with with your brand and your product through the original Kickstarter campaign back in, I think, 2014, when I was actually living in San Francisco too. And I remember it sort of being this somewhat viral internet sensation, these, these cool wool shoes. Um, and the campaign was both a, a big success, but also a bit of a disaster in some ways. So I was hoping that you could kind of share this story of what happened with that Kickstarter campaign, sort of starting from when uh, it went live on, on the internet and how it got so, uh, so popular so quickly. So I, uh, my last professional game uh, was in March of 2012. It was a loss away to Perth Glory in the playoffs. I barely think about it anymore, I promise you. Uh, and after that, <laughs> I, I, re- I retired and went uh, back to London where I was born, where my father was from actually, uh, where I'd always dreamed of going uh, to do business school and went to the London School of Economics and uh, showed up there and, um, and took some classes on, on entrepreneurship and had one with a professor actually with some time I spent at Northwestern in Evanston, just outside of Chicago and a professor called Carter Cast, who's this amazing guy. And I took this entrepreneurship class with him and he called me in at the end of the class and he just sort of said, Hey, this is uh, you know, you've been working on the shoe idea. I don't think it's a very good idea. In fact, I think it's a bad one, but you know, you should uh, go launch it on Kickstarter or something so that it can fail and you can go work out what you want to do with your life. Um, Cause I'm worried if you don't do that, you'll just work on it and, you'll be miserable and you lose your way. It was anyway, it was kind of like one of those ones. And of course he's become a great friend and a, you know, uh, a supporter of what we're yeah. doing, but it was a pretty tough conversation, but I went home for Christmas to New Zealand and decided just to do it. And I, I'd had a small factory that I found on the internet. I had, I think six pairs of wool shoes, which was the first conception of, of the product that we wanted to make uh, using natural materials. And um, I shot a video on a family friend's um, sheep farm for like 700 bucks. I think it cost and, um, and put it up on Kickstarter, uh, and then started looking for jobs. And this thing just kind of like took off. And, um, in four days, I I think, uh, uh, we had a thousand pairs of shoes to sell and we sold $120,000 in four days. And I, and, uh, we switched it off because that was all we had and ended up kind of kickstarting this whole journey and spent, uh, as you, as you talked about, uh, you know, delivered on all those shoes, but had a, had a horrible time doing it. Um, trying to make it all work, trying to ship shoes around the world, realizing how difficult it was to actually sort of manufacture footwear and all the early challenges that, you know, that anyone has. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, that, that Kickstarter process was, was quite important in terms of like taking this from a conceptual idea to one where I was sort of forced to actually go do it. So it became a, a quite an important moment in, the, in, in this journey. And as it turned out, Joey, my co-founder was one of the early customers uh, of the Kickstarter too. It's so interesting. So just to sort of linger on the challenges of it before we talk about the, the ultimate triumph. Um, I'm curious because I heard you, I've heard you say that like the year after the Kickstarter was just like an incredibly difficult year for you professionally and personally as you're trying to get this off the ground and deliver 
on the product that the internet seemed to validate in terms of there being a demand and, and people really responding well to the Kickstarter. And I found it really relevant to, you know, kind of like a period of injury that I just went through as an athlete where I just had a full year of, of basically just battling um, demons in both health and then the ensuing kind of psychological and emotional elements of it as well. And I just see that as a big similarity between sport and business as well. We deal with these, these big highs, but also these moments of, of real self-doubt. Um, can you tell us a little bit about like what, what about that year made it so challenging? And, and then maybe um, in order to make it a little bit more positive, sort of what were the, what were the good things that came out of it or what did it teach you in order to be a better, um, you know, a better business person and, and make a better product? When I retired from sport, I knew I needed to go backwards to to hopefully have a chance of going forwards. And so I went back to school and I went back to school to sub, to study all the subjects that I'd avoided. And I found myself back, back uh, at the back of the class, um, not understanding what they were talking about uh, with a whole bunch of, you know, you know, young kids for the most part. Um, and, and, and I had to start again and I, I had to battle and I had to work and, 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 um, and really start something new. And, and it was, it was hard. And, um, while I understood that in my mind, I, you know, of course the reality is, is always something different. And at the same time I found myself in London and I'd saved up a bunch of money from the world cup and sport, but I could see, you know, that was starting to disappear and I was investing in myself and in my education. Um, and then it's, of course, at some point you're like, well, I've, I've made a huge mistake. I should have just stayed and gone into coaching and played out the last of my years. And, you know, I used to get sponsored by, uh, you know, Adidas and now I don't anymore. And this is all pretty sad. And, uh, yeah. you know, and then you start selling, you know, selling shoes and, 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 you know, I really believed in the product, but I, you know, I, um, and I, and I, and I had a vision that's probably still as clear today as it was back then in terms of the type of product and the opportunity that, that, that existed in the footwear space to kind of create products that didn't have logos and were simple and were made from natural materials. Um, but I, I didn't know shoes. I, you know, making stuff is hard. Uh, making mm-hmm. shoes is extraordinarily difficult. Making shoes out of materials that are, are not traditionally used in footwear is is basically impossible. And that's what I took on with no uh, investment outside of the Kickstarter and my own yeah. saving and um, and no experience and basically no help. I had a couple of young guys helping me who were great, um, but I was I was waking up every morning doing customer service. I was trying to you know it was like yeah. I look back it was just sort of impossible. And and you know um, but at the end of the day. And, 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 and I felt it. And when I, when I didn't feel it, people close to me reminded me of it, you know, that Kickstarter campaign to you, to your earlier point had kind of caught people's attention and it had gone everywhere and been picked up by media and there'd been this extraordinary demand. So we just needed to work out how to make it. And Joey came along, he ended up being, um, uh, the, the, my wife's and, and his wife were roommates at college, uh, on the East coast in America. And he'd been an early customer of Kickstarter and, um, and, and, and we decided to come together to do it, um, together. And, and he'd, uh, had a career really committed to a slightly different vision. The idea that the world was awakening to the, to the need to use sustainable materials and make things more, uh, cons- uh, in a, in a more considerate, uh, way, uh, as it related to the environment and, and, um, had, you know, a lot of our operational experience and, um, we came together and decided to, to join forces and raise a little bit of money and, and do it properly really. Um, and we did that and we came together, I think in the middle of 2015, 
um, after I'd had that sort of year of, of sort of fumbling by myself and we raised uh, a little bit of um, investment and we started working out of his mother-in-law's house um, in, uh, in San Rafael, just outside of San Francisco. Yeah. Um, we moved from London to there and, and really committed to the idea. We we're going to take a big swing at this business together. That's so cool. And I, uh, I'm a former Marin County resident myself. I lived in Mill Valley for a number of years. So I'm just envisioning you guys hustling away there in Marin County. It's great. And I want to talk more about Joey here in a second, but I want to kind of like riff on something and see if it, you identify with it at all as well. Because like I mentioned, I just came off a, a year of like serious injury, first time in my athletic life that I was hurt. And the year before that, I had the best season of my career, signed all these new contracts. And, you know, when you then get injured, you sort of feel like, shoot, like now I'm not living up to what these people are expecting from me. And like, I'm not delivering on my promise. And in my conversation with Brett and many conversations with him, he talks about something similar in that when he was putting together his venture fund and sort of exploring this for the first time in his life, he found that the fundraising process was amazing. He, he really enjoyed it. But then once he had successfully raised the fund and it became time to deliver, he then sort of like fell into this mode of self-doubt. And I sort of wonder if you may identify that a little bit as well with, you know, raising $125,000 on Kickstarter right away with basically, you know, no help on your end. And then having that moment of like, oh shit, I actually have to deliver on this now. Uh, does that resonate with you at all? Am I, is there a commonality there that I'm hitting on that, that might be similar again between sport and business? Yeah, I, th I think of course. I think on some, on, on some level, you know, um, everyone, all of us are driven by the idea that we don't want to fail at something. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's obviously sort of influenced by the size of the challenge that you're going after and your ability to execute it. And also and how much you care or how much the actual idea of failing means to you. And I, I, I think in, in some cases, oftentimes, um, you know, an athlete is, is driven by the idea that they don't want to lose, that they want to, they want to win and, and, um, that it probably, the idea of losing impacts them more than maybe a normal person. It's a big mm. part of the drive to put yourself through training for so long to improve. So yeah, I, I, I had that. Absolutely. I think it was, um, more than my athletic ability. I think the the driving, um, sort of thing, my competitiveness behind, um, my sport, my sport and the ability to get you know, to be part of what I was a part of. And certainly, you know, it's the same thing in, in business. If, if, if in, in many ways it's kind of worse, it's it sort of, it's not like you have, you have chapters and an off season where you can kind of reset. It's like, it's going all the time. Yeah, and yeah. This, this thing, you know, oftentimes people are like, Oh, you know, it must be working long hours and you kind of laugh because that's not, that's the wrong question. It's like this thing embeds six inches in your brain. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and, and that just, I think at the end of the day, that's just sort of part of this, this that can be taken too far, but there's, there's part of me that, you know, that is, that likes to be uh, tackling something difficult. And is there doubts? Of course. Yeah. Every day. I mean, today, yeah. it's like any, any other day. So I think it all becomes about how you manage it. I think the one thing I was able to do and learn through my sporting career is there's like Tim Brown, the person, and then there's Tim Brown, the person that goes and plays sport. And those yeah. two things aren't the same. 
and you can lose on the weekend and still be a good bloke. And, uh, and, and that took a little while to learn, you know, cause you take it so personally. And, and, um, you know, the idea is that when you're injured, you're failing everyone. And the reality is you just, it's, that's not something you can control. And I think yeah. I got much better at that. And, and I think that the refining that mental model has helped me as an entrepreneur. Yeah, totally. And that was a major takeaway from my experience of injury, having been an athlete my whole life and really dealing with injury for the first time in my mid thirties. It was the first moment where I had to sort of decouple my athletic identity from my personal identity. And it was a kind of a big kind of light bulb moment for me. So touching back on Joey again, Joey's Willinger, your business partner. Yeah. yeah, Just on that. I mean, I I just very quickly, I broke my shoulder and I spent my entire sporting career in some ways preparing to go to the world cup and the very last warm-up game we played australia at the mcg big cricket ground in front of i don't know 70 or eighty thousand people and i i broke my shoulder and it was like three weeks before the world cup and uh you know i ended up going to the the tournament and, and never actually getting on the field and it was heartbreaking and i actually had this moment where i went at the all blacks camp i was back in new zealand i just had surgery and the all blacks are a very famous rugby team and they have a, a very famous actually sports psychologist and i went in and saw him this guy called gilbert Anoka, and um, and I thought it was going to be some sort of complicated process. And all he did is he sat me down and there were people coming in and out of the room. This is like one of the most iconic sporting teams with one of the best records ever. And all he asked me is like, what can you, what can you control and what can you not control? Yeah. And he wrote them down on a whiteboard and he's like, who are the people that, are, that can influence the bits that you can control? Uh, and you know, how are you, you re- communicating with them and are you in touch with them? And and that was kind of it. It was that simple. And it was sort of a framework for tackling challenge. And, and he's like, all of the stuff you kind of, it's going to be there, you, but you got to, you got to let it go. Cause it's, it's just, it's not, it's not part of the equation here, but these bits are, and, and what are you going to do to tackle them? And, and, um, and, and I just thought, I just thought that that was a refreshing, very, very simple sort of way of tackling some of these things. And oftentimes we're, we spend so much time worrying on the bits that we just can't influence. And, yeah, it's so true. And especially in these uncertain times, just adding extra stress to our plate uh, by worrying about things that we we can't control um, is, is not productive or conducive to uh, personal health. But just to pivot back to your business partner, Joey, Joey Zwillinger, who I think you said is your, your co-CEO, again, like to use this athletic metaphor, it seemed to me that this was... Re- a real turning point for Alberts, the brand and like you're, you guys teaming up again, sort of has that metaphor of like you being a team sport athlete, you know, finally finding like the right teammate. I've been watching the Michael Jordan documentary also on ESPN and reminds me of sort of Jordan and, and Pippen and you guys finding the right partner with the right chemistry. So I wanted you to kind of riff a little bit about Joey, if you don't mind, what about your guys' chemistry has allowed you guys to be successful? And like, how do your strengths and weaknesses balance each other out? Yeah, it, it, it really was the turning point. It's not, it's not to say that the, the challenge that we were going after got easier at, the, at that point, but all of a sudden we, we had the, you know, the combined skill set to tackle it. And, you know, it was a, it was a classic sort of left brain, right brain partnership. Um, you know, I, I was very much interested in the design and the product and Joey come from an operational background with, uh, as I touched on, uh, you know, a vision for sort of the way the world was going to need to connect with the idea of, of sustainability. And those two things kind of came together and, 
And we haven't looked back, which is not to say that it's been easy, but I think, I think we both bought into the idea that we could go further together than we could individually. And, um, you know, in the same way that you compose of a, of a, of a, a successful team on the field, you don't, you don't want to live in goalkeepers and you don't want to live in 11 strikers or attackers. You want, you want different personalities. You want different people. You want, you want uh, goal scorers and you want defenders and you want people to connect the dots between the two. And, um, you know, our, our complementary skill sets were able to, to buy into this larger idea, this larger purpose that was the foundation of all birds. And, you know, I, I'd been, I'd been making shoes and I'd been using materials in the case of wool that were very interesting and close to my heart coming from New Zealand, a uh, place of lots of sheep where, where that type of industry had, had been struggling for a while. So there was certainly a, the beginnings of a purpose, but Joey introduced me to the idea that there was an extraordinary urgency to uh, make products um, with less environmental impact and that the footwear and fashion industries, footwear in particular, 20 billion pairs a year made on average, fashion industry contributing, give or take about 10% of global emissions, that there was a real problem to solve there and that the industry had largely been paying lip service to it. Uh, and could we, could we attack that problem together with a different type of business model, selling direct to the customer, using materials that traditionally have been overlooked by you know, what is a low margin sort of um, category for the most part. And that's what we did. And, and we launched our first shoe, the Wool Runner, on the 1st of March 2016 and went on to sell close to a million pairs of that of that one shoe over the first couple of years. And the business has, has, has really sort of um, blossomed uh, to, to be, you know, now, you know, a little bit less than 500 people with offices in China and, and uh, the UK and, and uh, retail stores. Uh, 19 of them, many of them which are now closed at the moment, but, um, you know, around the world. So mm-hmm. um, we're going after that challenge together. And I, and I think, you know, we, I, I, I suspect neither of us could have done it alone. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really cool. And I, I think just athletes in general can so identify with that, you know, at a certain point you hustle so hard, but without the right support or without the right infrastructure and, coaching, whatever it is. And in your case with Joey, you know, finding the, the right partner, you being the design oriented person, him maybe be, being more of like a business operator, you guys teamed up in a way that has allowed you to be really successful. And so just talking more about that breakthrough moment for you, you, you had struggled through years of hustle. You, you team up with Joey, you rebrand, re-strategize and relaunch this wool running wool runner. And it was extremely successful sort of out the gate. I've heard you guys talk about running out of inventory in certain sizes really quickly and that you had this idea that you needed to either fail fast or succeed big. Um, I'm wondering, obviously that you succeeded really big. It wasn't as if you failed fast. And I'm wondering if at that point, was there like a a feeling of relief for you as somebody who had been working on this project alone for so long uh, to see it finally validated in the market? And uh, yeah, any other feelings that sort of came up at that moment when you finally realized like, I wasn't crazy to go after this for so long? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of interesting points there, and I mean, uh, to try and answer the question, I mean, I think uh, so much of you know creating an idea and hauling it into the world is seeking feedback, right? You want to, you know, you've got you've got a a, um, a sense of something that's missing in the world, and you want to go create it, right? So 
you go out and you seek feedback on that idea. And, and if, if you don't do that, you're dumb. Um, but equally, I mean, there's a great risk when you're doing that, you, that you start to listen to it. And um, if your idea is any good, it's probably people are not going to quite understand it. It's going to be a little bit diff- different or counterintuitive or in the case of wool shoes, overly simplistic. Of course, someone would have thought of trying to do that. <laughs> um, you know, so the, the, the idea that you listen to it all is dangerous. And, and that's what I mean by the idea of, you know, what Joey and I kind of wanted to do when we failed fast. We wanted to have the courage of our convictions. And I think the risk is with innovation, you, you listen to everyone, then you start ticking everyone's, uh, all the boxes and you're trying to get consensus and then you have something that's not interesting. Or in the case of shoes, you don't just launch one shoe, you launch 10 shoes and a range and mm. you know, you're trying to satisfy everyone. We will launch with one shoe and it was made of wool and it was initially conceived as a performance product, hence why it was called the Wool Runner. But ultimately we, we realized we, we couldn't get there out of the gate and that there was a really big opportunity in creating something that was beautifully designed, focused on the idea of comfort. Um, and we did. We said no to wholesale. We said no to a lot of things. And we said, look, this is either going to work or it's not. And if it does, we'll be good. And if it doesn't, we at least we, you know, we we didn't dilute what we we wanted to do. Yeah. And and so I, I think that's the you know one of the risks of innovation and and why it's so hard because you have to choose and develop an instinct for who you're going to ignore. And in our case, it was people from the footwear industry or the wool industry or people that knew a hell of a lot more than us. And so, you know, developing that instinct was important. And, um, you know, but then you, you go you go and launch and there's a second part to your question, which is, you know, uh, do you, you know, and this is maybe where the athlete mentality comes in. You know, we had a couple of wins early on, but we even now today, we're nowhere near where we want to go. There's yeah. so much more that we can do, so much more that we can improve and make no mistake, we're in an extraordinarily competitive category. We have, we've had 25, 30 competitors come after us and, you know, we just plowed that into our, into our business. We made 30 changes to the wool runner. Every time we found a new way of working or a new material or a new design change, we just floated into the shoes and we've just been relentless in, 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 in trying to improve. And I, and I think in four years, we've come a long, long way and ultimately, you know, allowed us to, to launch our first performance product recently too. So, um, yeah, that, 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 that desire to improve and that competitiveness has certainly been a big part of our story. Yeah, it's so cool. And I want to talk about that performance product here in just a bit. But, you know, I guess just kind of lingering on this subject of success a little bit more, was there a tendency to maybe pat yourself back on the back and, and let your guard down after that initial success? Or what, what keeps you motivated and competitive after that period of like metaphorical victory? Is it that athletic instinct of like, no, people are coming after us. Uh, you know, these, uh, imitation products or, or ex- established brands trying to copy what we're doing. Is that what keeps you motivated? Yeah. I mean, I think it all starts with the big dream, right? And I think in the, in the, in the, in the case of, um, you want to, you want to toggle between sort of small actions and improvement and a big dream. And in the case of sort of my sporting career, it was, could I play for my country and could I, you know, over time, could I play for my country at a world cup? And that was so lofty as almost to be ridiculous and impossible, but it drove you to go to training the next day to, to improve a little bit more. And similarly with, with all birds, you know, the goal wasn't to sort of sell a million pairs of shoes. That never was the goal. The goal that Joey and I imagined together was that we would build a, a, a business uh, together that we would um, be proud to tell our grandkids about that would be a part, a small part, we didn't know how big a part, but certainly a part of showing 
the world that sustainable materials could uh, could make great products, and that those two things weren't mutually exclusive, and that we could be, you know, um, you know, we could we could start to sort of uh, shift um, the fashion and footwear industries. Um, sort of focus and and understanding of, of 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 how that was possible, and you know we've made some really great strides. We've done some great things in four years. Um, new material innovations, uh, a new carbon scoring system. Our new performance product is the first product ever to list the uh, you know one of the first products ever to list the kilograms of carbon that are emitted in the production of it. Um, but 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 that that that's there's still a long way to go. Yeah, and and so I think the you know the 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 power of challenging yourself to do something big is that you know it takes a long long time and a lot of a lot of work to get there. So we're we're you know we're a long way away from that at the moment. Yeah, that's great, and it's a perfect segue because I do want to talk about the environmental philosophy at Allbirds here now. And when I talked to Brett about you guys, I think he said something to the effect of, you know, it's not a footwear company. It's a, it's a material science company. And as you've mentioned now a couple of times, I think that, you know, the footwear industry as a whole is pretty wasteful and resource intensive. So what are the materials most core to all birds? Obviously most people will know wool, but maybe talk about why that one's important and the other ones that you guys really lean on and how those fit with your environmental philosophy. Yeah. So we, we, we you know, we, we fundamentally believe that, that natural materials are, are better than synthetics. And we, you know, kind of looked across the, the footwear industry as a whole and it tended to default to, um, you know, to making shoes out of those materials and leathers and basically with a very much of a, a low cost mentality. And we imagined a different type of business model that, um, you know, that didn't use wholesale that allowed us to invest in different materials. And we started with Merino wool, um, ZQ certified, very fine Merino wool that's normally made into suits for Tom Ford and Armani <laughs> and, um, and then, uh, you know, uh, found that that created a, gr- a great experience, um, added eucalyptus fiber, um, from South Africa actually that, um, was, you know, cooling when the weather was hot and, and that was it, you know, and then found a way EVA is one of the most commonly used materials in footwear. And we initially used Petro derived EVA like everyone else, but we, we soon discovered that there was a way to make it, um, out of the byproduct of sugarcane, of, of eth- ethanol with a, um, with sugarcane, and, and we created a uh, what we've called sweet foam, which is a, a green EVA that's actually carbon negative in its raw form. Um, and we, you know, we made that open source to the entire industry. There's now, I think, a hundred footwear companies globally in the process of using it. Wow, um, uh, which is really exciting. And you know, and we've we've sort of showed. Um, you know, people that these materials, when you commit to it and you, you, you have a business model where you're prepared to invest in it and are allowed to pay up for it, where not everything is measured by the lowest dollar, you can actually, some of these things are possible. And, you know, at the beginning, there was very much this sort of like understanding that we didn't want to make sustainable products. We wanted to make great products. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I think we've evolved that understanding to, to, to realize that, you know, even four years in that a product can't be truly great unless it's sustainable. So those two things have merged and, and, you know, we've started to get some runs on the board. We've started to kind of work out how to do this and um, made really great progress from a material innovation point of view. So to Brett's statement, I definitely think that the ideas that are driving the conception of the products are bigger than just shoes. Mm -hmm. That's ultimately what we're making at the moment. 
Cool. So to talk a little bit more about the sweet foam specifically, again, you said this is your alternative to EVA, which is ubiquitous in all footwear and and specifically running footwear. Um, Now, you mentioned that you made it open source. So to me, that sort of feels like you abdicating a potential opportunity to harness some intellectual property, right? And, And probably benefit from that big breakthrough as a result of this, um, you know, this sort of new pioneering material that you guys came up with. So why did you make it, uh, open source? Is it, it's, it just has all to do with the benevolence of your, your environmental philosophy and, and the desire to have a positive impact as part of your business? Yeah, no, it's, it's not just because we're good guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I, I, look, I, I, I think, um, traditionally in footwear, you know, you create a material, um, you make up a name for it and then you keep it secret. And, yep. you know, we saw an opportunity maybe perhaps by our na- naivety and our lack of understanding of sort of how the game quote unquote was played. Um, you know, we saw an opportunity here with a novel material that was better for the environment, but cost a little bit more to open it up to the entire industry so that more people would use it. And, and, and because there is less sort of carbon emitted in the production of this, you know, very, very popular material, that's a great outcome. And the more people that used it, uh, the, the, the cost was going to come down of course, and we yeah. were going to benefit from that. So it, for me, is it, is this, this like great example of, of how you move the conversation forward about the topic of sustainability. And I think we're in that chapter at the moment. I think chapter one was, we all know there's, there's a problem. Um, and it's a heart-based uh, emotional one. And we need to very, very quickly shift it to a science-based one and an objective, economic, financially driven one. Um, and this, I think, is a great example of doing that. And, um, you know, it was a classic win-win. And all of these companies come in and use it. Um, and, and that's a fantastic thing. And, and we benefit from that scale. And, um, and I think it's a, a little bit of a, hopefully a case study of sort of, yeah, how you were able to kind of uh, grow your business and do the right thing uh, with your business at the same time. And, you know, I think it's, it's, it's a gateway to sort of a larger understanding of the topic of sustainability. And I, you know, I think at the moment, one of the challenges uh, is that sustainability as a topic means 10 different things to 10 different people to you. It might mean recyclability and land use and someone else. It might be about microplastics or biodiversity. And the short answer is every one of those things is right. But they must, you know, in our point of view, which is, has been hard fought, fought for and won, is that, I, that they, all of those things must ladder up to the idea of carbon as the unifying metric. And now individual and collective carbon footprint is the, the, the key indicator, uh, you know, and the key metric that we need to drive down in the conversation around the environment. Hence why we're labeling our individual products and, and trying to think in those terms and, 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 and also understanding that, um, you know, over time, there'll be a cost for, for, for those emissions. So uh, we're trying to get out in front of that conversation. And, and um, you know, we've, we feel like we have great clarity uh, on exactly sort of uh, what we need to do. And that's helpful. It's what a great lesson, you know, not needing to, to compromise your values in order to be a successful and healthy business. It's, it's really cool. Something that I really admire about what you guys do. So to transition and talk specifically about the the new product that you guys have recently launched, the the Tree Dashers, the performance running shoe, 
um, you spoke earlier about the fact that you went to market with a single shoe. You know, you were totally committed to the wool runner and you've slowly methodically built your product offerings over the last few years. And now you've sort of entered this performance running shoe category. So what was the, the motivation behind bringing that to market? What was the opportunity you saw in the running space and how is it, how is it different? You know, I, I mean, a, a bunch of things, many of the strands of the things we've discussed, actually, look, I'd obviously come from a sporting sporting background and, 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 and running has been sort of my connection to sports since I've retired and something I've always done um, and enjoyed. And, um, you know, initially the wall runner was conceived as, as having a performance element and it just, it, it, it wasn't possible. It's, it's, it's very, very hard to do. Creating a performance shoe is, is, is not something that you you know, you just sort of wake, you know, wake up and, 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 and decide to do. So it took us a number of years to sort of develop the capability and the talent, the design talent, the product development talent, the material knowledge and expertise. And only then did we decide to go after it. And we spent a couple of years doing so with the idea that we were going to uh, break down another barrier that we were told was somewhere where we couldn't go. And that was that, um, performance, uh, footwear products, um, you know, needed to be made out of synthetic materials to perform. And we wanted to sort of challenge that idea. Mm -hmm. Um, and we believed we could, and it took a bit of time and we tried to do it. And and so our, our shoe was made up of eucalyptus fiber, upper knitted upper, uh, sweet foam sole, um, and a little bit of our, you know, our signature sort of Merino wool and to create a performance experience that we, you know, we think is as good, if not better than the synthetic alternatives. It's a, it's an example of ignoring some feedback and deciding we were going to do it anyway and trying to prove people wrong. And, um, you know, we launched it only a few weeks ago and, uh, so far the reaction has been, uh, you know, really, 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 really good. And most importantly, um, from the running community, which was where we wanted to make sure that we, that we, we, we showed people that we weren't mucking around here, that we didn't, uh, we didn't sort of, we weren't just sort of calling it a running shoe. We'd spent, you know, miles and thousands of miles testing it. We'd done so in the best labs in the country with some of the best talent to actually create a sort of a neutral everyday low mileage running shoe that was going to be, was going to be good. And, and, um, we've got a long way to go. Lots of other things. Again, I'm, we're not, we're not anywhere near, but finished, but we're, I'm really, really proud of where we've landed. Yeah. It's so cool. And, just discussing the fact that you do print the carbon uh, price or, or, you know, the, the carbon footprint of each product on the boxes, I think is something that runners specifically respond really well to in, you know, speaking in general generalities, they tend to be a pretty environmental bunch or, um, you know, pretty, um, principled group that sort of responds well when they see other people trying towards these great goals, you know, it's sort of the thing that, again, using the sport analogy, you know, they, they recognize that you're going after something and inherently you can't help but, but respect that. It's a scorecard, right? It's Um, like, like anything else, it's a scorecard. And, and, and we, uh, we think on average is about, you know, 13 or 14 kilograms of carbon are emitted with a, uh, a pair of sneakers on average is made, although no one really discloses it. Uh, our dasher is nine um, and it's mm-hmm. labeled as such. And uh, we offset that, um, but we need to drive that down. We need to innovate. We need to get to get better. And uh, that's not the reason you should buy it. I mean, hopefully people 
empathize with the idea that we're trying to do something difficult and we we stand for something more. Um, but you know, the way I, I liken it to sort of a nutritional label on food, it's, it's information on how you can live a healthier, healthier, uh, life. And, and, um, and that's how we should be thinking about, um, giving people information to understand their own personal footprints and how all of those footprints ladder up to a global number that we must reduce. Um, the irony is we're in, we're in a different race, mate, you know, we're all in a different race and we all have a collective need to lessen our environmental impact and lower our carbon impact. And, and so hopefully by giving uh, people that information, we invite other people to join in too. And and hopefully there's other people that will disclose this on their shoes and they'll beat us and we can go and try and beat them again. That's great. So are you a runner yourself, Tim? Have you put these, uh, these shoes to the test yourself? And I think more generally, how does exercise and staying fit and self-care fit into your routine to be a, a better uh, executive as part of Allbirds? It's the thing they don't tell you about uh, starting a shoe company is you've got to wear them every single day. So it's, <laughs> it's the best incentive to, uh, to make a product that you like. Um, yes, I do. I am a runner. Um, I, uh, I did, you know, I, I, I don't miss too much about my sport. I, I'm really pleased I had that experience and, and, and also, you know, that I, that I ended at the right time, but I, I do miss the feeling of being fit. And, and, um, so running has been a really important part of, of, of my life since. And, and, um, I don't run ultra marathons. I don't even run marathons. Uh, we've got two little kids and it's sneaking in, yeah. uh, you know, a few miles, uh, you know, three or four times a week is really important and I don't track it. I don't measure it. Um, it's often out in the, out in the woods or somewhere where, um, you know, people can't call me cause I don't have my cell phone with me and it, it's my way of resetting and it's critically important. And if I don't do it, um, I, you know, I, it really impacts me. So, uh, the ability to do it in our shoes is a, is a real thrill and I've run uh, I, I certainly don't want to say it's the most, but I've run a lot and, um, certainly, uh, uh, are, are in the era of our design team with all sorts of improvements and possibilities and like everyone else, uh, a customer of the product trying to make it better. And, uh, yeah, so the running piece is, is something that I, you know, will be a part of my life for as long as I can possibly do it. Well, that's great. And, uh, yeah, it's good to know that you, uh, do the quality control yourself out there in uh, beautiful San Francisco, one of the best places to run in the world. Uh, but Tim, thank you so much for your time. I really love the idea of, you know, not compromising and not always listening to feedback. Um, and yeah, like I said, really admire what you guys have put together and really appreciate you spending the time with us chatting through it. Oh, it's, uh, I've, re- I've really enjoyed it and a real uh, privilege. So thank, thank you for having me. All right, Tim. Take care. Cheers. Thanks so much to Tim. That was super fun for me. I hope you guys all really enjoyed it as well. You can check out Allbirds, their sustainability mission, and the shoes that we mentioned here in the podcast at their website, which is, of course, just altbirds.com. If you feel so compelled, feel free to leave me a rating or review uh, on whatever podcast player you do listen to this on. Really appreciate any and all feedback that you guys can provide as I continue to try and make this something that you want to tune into either way appreciate you being here and we look forward to talking to you again very soon thanks